Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new martial artist talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today grew up in Israel and regularly visited the cinema with Bruce Lee being an idol and influence. He started training in martial arts at an early age, has trained in numerous styles, opening his own school in 1979. As a young man, he completed mandatory military service in the Israel Army for three years before studying film and television at Tel Aviv University. His first short film in 1987 was called Farewell Terminator and won seven awards at Morgerby Film Festival. In 1988, he moved to America to pursue a career in film, with his first break coming after joining the production team on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers as a stunt coordinator. In 1992, he directed his first feature film, Desert Kickboxer. He's gone on to direct such notable projects as Ninja, Special Forces, which helped launch the career of Scott Adkins, Undisputed 2 and 3, WMAC Masters, and many, many more. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Isaac Florentine. How are you doing today, sir? Thank you. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much. Good. I appreciate your time. So what we like to do, I want to go back to the beginning and kind of find out what led you to martial arts. Where did that first spark come from? Where did your interest in martial arts start? So as a kid growing up in Israel, uh, martial, basically, martial arts was really Japanese martial arts. Mm-hmm. This was judo in the 60s. And then I heard about karate. I heard about karate first, I think, in 1967. And then as a child, I saw a James Bond movie, You Only Live Twice. Nice. Now, You, you Only Live Twice, I don't know if you remember, mm-hmm. there were some, it was shot in Japan, but there were some scenes that really had top martial uh, artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, karate, it was uh, Masoyama and his students, Kirushinkai guys. There was the Katori Shintoryu uh, school of uh, sword, and basically they kind of played as uh, the local ninja, and actually that school originated in the 14th century, so really had elements of uh, ninjutsu, and the head of the school Chief instructor Otake was in the movie. Oh, wow. And I was really blown away from karate and the sword playing of that movie. As a child, I went and saw it in Matinez again and again and again, like about four <laughs> times without even telling my parents. <laughs> nice. And okay. When they found about it, they were pretty upset. <laughs> but this was my really the, the opening for me to uh, explore uh, the window to martial arts at that time i remember asking my brother that is eight years older than me about karate and asking can you really uh, jump that high and can you really hit somebody and kill him in one blow and he told me yes that's correct about two years later the tokyo circus arrived to uh, israel and they had uh, to tel aviv and they had like uh, karate demonstrations there 
And again, I went to see it about three times only for the karate demonstrations. Mm-hmm. It started to be a, a, a dream of mine to, to learn karate. In 1971, okay. Billy Jack arrived to Israel, I think it was 71, but also they opened a dojo close to where I lived. Okay. And I asked my parents to go and study there. They were totally against it because uh, they were Holocaust survivors and they were, for them, karate was uh, violence. But me being me, I was a good student and I was like a squeaky wheel, drove them crazy <laughs> until they basically said, okay, fine. In one condition, keep on playing the guitar. And uh-huh. until now, I still keep playing the guitar. Basically, I went to the dojo and I was told that I cannot start with karate because karate was really for the tough guys. And I was still young. I had to start with judo. So I started with judo. And after a few months driving everybody crazy, they let me go into the karate class, karate training. Okay. Now, the style that was taught in that dojo was uh, Kyokushinkai, ah. which is actually Masoyama style. Yes. Two years later, the instructor, his name was Gideon Kadari, left the dojo to open a new dojo. And into that dojo, a Japanese uh, instructor arrived. His name was Hiroshi Kuriara. And he taught a combination of uh, Shitoryu, that was Motobua Shitoryu, or uh, what was called today Kuniba Kai, or Station Kai, and uh, Shotokan. The story was that he started with Shotokan, but at a certain point, his instructor moved to to Shitoryu, and he taught that blend. Okay. And uh, I kept uh, training. I kept, I stayed in that dojo. I kept training uh, there to have a Japanese instructor in Israel in the early 70s was uh, uh, something extraordinary because I think that all of the population from the Far East that you could find there in Israel, you could count them in I mean, two hands. There no. were none. There isn't. There are none, you know. Okay. So it was uh, really something extraordinary. I was a meticulous teacher. It was very uh, giving a lot of emphasis to the final point and uh, final point and the mechanics of karate. In 1975, I kind of, uh, after training for four years, and I was started to be obsessed in karate already from the beginning because there was so much of a rejection for me training it. So mm-hmm. when I started, I kind of promised myself that I will never, never, ever leave. So no matter what, I will never leave. So I was really obsessed about karate and obsessed about uh, its technique. And at a certain point, I started feeling that traditional karate was not really the answer. At that time, also, uh, Muay Thai kind of started to arrive to Israel, and I was contemplating whether to leave or not to leave. And then, by chance, the person that I really uh, see as my teacher, mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Weber from Sweden, was visiting Israel. And by chance, he came to the dojo of uh, Hiroshi, and he taught there, and that lesson I will never forget all my life because it was pretty amazing what he did and what he taught and how he taught. And uh, basically, after that session, I said, okay, that's exactly what I'm looking because what he did was efficient, it was natural, 
It was logical, and it had exactly what I was looking for karate. It was a combination between kicks and punches and sweeps, and it was all about efficiency. Okay. And uh, I basically stayed, kept on training. In 1976, I joined the Army, as you said, mm-hmm. stayed uh, years in the Army. And I, in the Army, I trained, trained everywhere I went. I trained with whoever was there, with... Uh, Shotokan practitioners and Gojoryu practitioners, uh, no matter what, no matter who, I was uh, at this passion to learn more and more and more. In 1978-79, again, Thomas Weber arrived to Israel and I was uh, tested then to my first dan. And he came again a few months later with one of his students and I saw the student and he was as explosive as him. And I said to myself, so it's not him, it's the way he's teaching. And I asked him to, if I can go into his dojo in Sweden and train there. And he said, no problem, you're welcome. Whenever you want, you can sleep in the dojo. Basically, I went after my military service to Sweden, stayed there for uh, a few months, and uh, basically, ever since then, uh, kept very, very close connections with him until today. And that's uh, almost uh, 50 years later. Wow. Okay. And so, and what style was that? Was that the same style or was that a different style also? So what he was teaching, what he was teaching was his blend of shit or you, I'll be technical, okay? Okay. The base, the base, he started with what was called combat judo mm-hmm. in the early 50s as a kid. Then karate arrived to France, then he grew up in France. He was an orphan, he grew up in France. Karate arrived to the dojo of Henri Play, and that was Shotokan. But later, he w- went to the French army, served in the French Foreign Legion, was wounded in Algeria, returned and kept, kept on training with Yoshinao Nambu. Yoshinao Nambu was brought Shitoryu to Europe. He, the, that blend of Shitoryu was called Taniha Shitoryu or Shukokai. Uh, at a certain point, he switched it to, he opened his own stream that was called Sankokai. And for me, it was the nicest karate I've ever seen because it was a nice blend of kicks, punches, sweeps, including spinning hook kicks, stuff that, that you didn't see in Japanese karate, and but it was very basic in that karate, like hook kicks, spinning hook kicks. Today, everybody does it, yeah. but think about it. In the 60s, people did not do it, especially, I mean, in the 70s, they started to do it, and these were our basic techniques, really. Into that, because he was uh, in the French Foreign Legion in the Algerian War and also was teaching the police, he had a a lot of uh, techniques that were efficient for self-defense. And uh, for me, as an Israeli, it was something very interesting because in Israel we have uh, what is called Kav Maga. And most of us Israelis also train in Kav Maga. And I knew the founder, Emil Lichtenfeld, pretty well. So it was very logical to train in that uh, karate. It was all about efficiency, yet it was elegant and uh, you can say classical, but not rigid, very open-minded. Nice. You had opened your own school. At what point did you start teaching and and decide that was something you wanted to do? Kind of what led you to the teaching side of it? 
So I got obsessed with karate the day I started. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I knew that I got an opportunity to study something that was some kind of a technology. And uh, besides this, it was something that was uh, mystic or, or exotic coming from a small country, then of two million people were... There are no people from the Far East. This was like opening a window to a different world, especially in a country that was then surrounded by enemies. Karate, it kind of took me to a different world. So I started teaching in 1978 when I was still in the army, but they let me teach. And I taught the cadets of the Israeli Air Force that was in Haifa. And then... In 1979, when I finished my military service, I opened my uh, first dojo. And something really interesting, I don't know if you remember, in 1972, in the Olympic uh, Games, uh, a squad of terrorists, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, killed the Israeli uh, athletes, yep, I mean, 12 I, athletes. Yep. And most, the, the majority of them were the weightlifting team. The weightlifting team were training in a hall that was uh, in Tel Aviv. And uh, for years, that all was kind of empty. That all was the dojo, or the dojo that I opened was in that hall. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah. After a few years in that dojo, I opened other branches, but this stayed my main dojo. Okay. The, the main interest for me was not really to open uh, something commercial, was something for me to continue and train uh, hard. Uh, I didn't have kids, I had only adults. And basically, in the morning, I was in Tel Aviv University uh, studying, and uh, in the evenings, I was uh, in the dojo. Okay. And then, so how long did you teach for? I taught until I came to the States in 1988. Mm -hmm. But here, I kept on teaching, and I still teach, but totally voluntarily. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I teach now in Stuart at the Stuart Martial Arts Center. I do it totally voluntarily. I teach seminars around the world totally voluntarily. Okay. Whoever uh, invites me, I will go and I will teach because I totally believe that everything that I achieved in my life is because of karate. Let's say karate for me, but let's say martial arts or the, mm -hmm. the right spirit of martial arts. And it's really, I mean, I was lucky and uh, I think, basically I, I would like to give back in one hand and also i love to train i really love to train nice so what thinking back to when you first started teaching to today when you're still doing it what do you think has changed the most about your teaching style over the years so i think that to karate today became more of a sport and it's in a way a bit softer than the way it was if you look at karate of the 70s, it was kind of hard knocks. Mm -hmm. I mean, we used to fight and get bloody. Uh, today, it's maybe a little bit more scientific, but I find it to be uh, less as a martial art, more as a sport. The same with kata. Kata, when we trained, was about the application of it. And today I see let's say at competition, people that are doing kata super high level, mm -hmm. but it's very academic. It's almost like balletic. And some of the, I mean, a lot of those katas I cannot do. <laughs> you know, it's like, and they do it amazingly, but it's kind of lost in a way. Sometimes it's soul and it's purpose. Right. The idea of, uh, let's say, kata mm -hmm. was not to do so many katas. If you look uh, 
Look, I just give you an example. Ken Wamabuni was the founder of Shitoyu. He preserved 60, 64 katas. Wow. Preserve it, it doesn't mean that you have to go and to do 64 katas mm -hmm. because from so many trees, you don't see the forest. The idea was you train two or three katas that are yours and you understand them deeply. And the others is just to, if you do it, to understand other stuff or for other students to choose whatever they want. Okay. Kind of less is more. If you look at, uh, 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 I don't know, look at Wing Chun. They mm -hmm. do only three katas. Yeah. Look at uh, Gojoryu. Gojoryu Karate is only 12 katas. You don't even, this is a lot. You don't need any more. Right. Less is more. I like that. That's cool. So you, you kind of mentioned tournaments. Is that something, did you ever do competition when, when you were younger for martial I arts? did some competition. I'm not really a big fan of it. Yes, I did because I had to do it, especially when I was a student at Tel Aviv University. You had to represent mm -hmm. university. I think that competition are excellent thing for youngsters because it teaches you to work under pressure mm -hmm. and it's a very good lesson. But I, I think that sport karate is killing karate. Like uh, the minute that judo became a sport, mm -hmm. it uh, lost its uh, popularity. So the same with taekwondo. I mean, when taekwondo was a martial arts, they were doing more techniques, more uh, sweeping techniques. They don't do it anymore. So it's the minute that the martial arts become martial sport, in a way, it becomes maybe more popular. But I think that it loses its uh, purpose. And I think people, when people see that, they think that's what martial arts is, and that's all. They don't, they don't see a wide enough view. Like, I train at a traditional Taekwondo school. Yes, we do tournaments, but our focus is traditional, and we still do, you know, traditional forms and, and you know, traditional techniques. And, you know, you know, it's not like Olympic style where they're, you know, throwing a thousand kicks without even raising their hands up. We actually do punches and stuff. And, and but most people here take one out and they think Olympics. That's all they think. And now after karate, that, after karate being in the Olympics, I'm afraid that's going to start happening to karate now, too. They're going to see what what happened in the last Olympics and think that's what karate is. And that's not. Exactly. Now, is that ITF or WTF that you were? We're under WTF. Yes, correct. But we, we use WTF for rules when we compete. But it's it's under it's directly through the Kukiwan and it's under uh, Chungmukwan is, is the Kwan we're under. Our great grandmaster is a 10th degree black belt from Korea. And my instructor is an 8th degree. I've been training with him since 1994. So I'll tell you something that maybe you don't know. First, you know, in the 60s, I don't know how old you are, I'm 64. Mm -hmm. In the 60s, Taekwondo was called Korean Karate. There yep. was no difference. Exactly. And, and until 1955, Taekwondo was not even called Taekwondo. It was a bunch of styles that were taught or trained by Korean. A lot of them were soldiers in the Japanese army. Mm -hmm. A lot of them, by the way, trained in Kyoto. And then you had Chondokwan, Modokwan, uh, etc. Yep. And in 1955, they had to reunite under the umbrella of General Che, and it was called Taekwondo. But General Che himself was studying Shotokan Karate. Yep. The only style that kind of refused to do it was Tang Sudo. And if you look at Tang Sudo, it's really, it stayed, the syllables are Shotokan, mm -hmm. are the old or Shotokan style. Yep. So even... Taekwondo origins are more in Japanese, but not really Japanese. It's all Okinawan yes. uh, uh, style. So, and, and Okinawan, I mean, karate came from China, basically. It's uh, from southern Chinese style, like mm -hmm. Fukian. But you're right. I mean, it changed, you know. 
I have a good friend, Her Perez. Oh, yes. He he was Olympic gold medalist in Barcelona in Mm -hmm. 1992. And when he started training, it was still Korean karate, you know? Yep. And it's changing. Herb but, was on my show last year, so. Okay, yep. so, okay. <laughs> yep, good, good guy. I like Herb. So, basically, that's uh, that's what it is. And if you look at all the Taekwondo books, let's say, take uh, the book of uh, Son. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, right now in my library looking at it. Oh. The book is by Dak Sung Son. Uh, for, it was written in 1968. If you look at the katas, at the forms, it's Pinan forms. Okay. What I'm trying, even the names, Pyongan, Pinan, Pyongan in Korean, mm-hmm. Pinan in Japanese or Okinawan. Yep. So the, the, the styles were very similar or were really united until in the 70s where there was a break between ITF and WTF and new katas were invented. Yep. But anyway, that's uh, my two cents about Taekwondo. Yep. I mean, uh, I love it. It's amazing. It's great. But like you said, a part of it became a sport. Yes, right. exactly. I, I've noticed that too because my my first style when I was ten years old was Tung Sudo. I was actually Mudak Kwan Tung Sudo when I was ten yeah. years old, and then when I was in high school, I studied Shotokan, <laughs> and then I started you know Taekwondo when I was in college. So I noticed a lot of similarities between all three of them, and you know a lot of differences and st- you know some differences, but very very similar. A lot of the even some of the terminology <laughs> it was the same and stuff. So, yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. <laughs> because the three of them came from basically, in a way, the source is really Gishin Funakoshi, or then he brought it from Okinawa. It was, but yes, that's what it is. Yes. Now, you said uh, Bruce Lee was a big influence on you. So, what made you Huge. decide? Yeah. What made you decide to turn to movies? What made you decide to that, that you wanted that to be part of your life? So. As a child growing up in Israel, TV came really late. And then you had one TV station that was broadcasting maybe two, three hours a day and it was pretty lousy. <laughs> so really, you go to see movies, a lot of movies. I grew up on really on Westerns, my favorite genre, especially the Italian Westerns. And I became really a film aficionado after watching Sergio Leone uh, movies. And I remember in 1972, I went and I saw Fist of Fury, what was called the Chinese Connection. And I was blown away. I was blown away because the first movie that I saw, Chinese movie came, was uh, what was called Five Fingers of Death. And I didn't like it. It was, for me, the techniques were sloppy. The story was dumb. It was too violent. And I said, I don't think I want to see another Chinese movie. Then Fist of Fury came. And uh, my sensei then recommended it. Uh, actually, we did shows, demonstrations in the theater. So I went and I saw the movie and I was blown away. I was blown away by, I just, I, I remember the movie ended up and I was, when I was walking home, it was like walking on clouds. And I finally realized, you, first, you can do a subgenre of making martial arts movies. It's a total subgenre by itself. And uh, from really that day, I said, okay, my life, I want, of course, to continue to train martial arts as much as I can mm-hmm. until the end, my last day. But I'd like to do movies. Now, think about it. I'm a kid in a small country. Two million people doesn't even speak English. Mm-hmm. Okay, or limited English. And it was a little bit of a weird dream. 
but this is where I got the the passion for it. Now I just want to tell you a few things. Let's mm-hmm. talk technical. Okay. Let's just talk technical. You know, in Okinawan karate, the kicks that you have there are front kick, groin kick, and side stamping kick to the knee. Okay, these are the kicks that you have in Okinawan karate. People are unaware that the round kick, roundhouse kick, hook kick, and side kick were not really an original. Chinese or Japanese martial arts or Okinawan, right. and of course, Korean. They came from French Savat. People are unaware of it. The karate, in a way, is a synthesis between East and West. So basically, the sidekick was introduced to karate in the 20s and 30s. But I don't know if you remember, with the way that you learned, let's say, to do a sidekick from, let's say, a horse riding stance, was you step forward, you're right, you bring your it's like a cross step, but you bring your the leg in front of the, your kicking leg. Right. And when you do it, the kick really is slow and you really block your hip. But that's the way it was taught. And until now, many Japanese style are teaching it in this way, because sometimes in, in Japanese style, once it becomes the dogma, mm-hmm. they will or canonize, they will never change it. They will stick to the mistake. Right. Okay. So basically, you go and you see a Bruce Lee movie, and you see he's doing the, the step like from a horse riding stance as a skipping step, or the step is from behind. Okay. Mm-hmm. He, that's the way he did it, like Savat. The same he did with the hook kick. Nobody used to kick then a hook kick. So what I'm saying is, you saw those techniques and they were innovative. And as a child, then, I started to adopt the sidekick the way he did it, and which helped me inspiring because remember I was then 13, 14, you know, 15, not really uh, fully mature, and it helped me. And then karate was all about sparring, but it helped me to understand and to make those techniques efficient. Okay. I used to go with a pad to the movie theater because I used to see those movies again and again and again. I used to go with a, with a pad and write the techniques on a piece uh, on, on, on the pad, of course, because it's dark. It's like you write on top, uh, one line on top of the other. You have to understand what you wrote after. This is how much his influence was so big. Uh, not only on me, I think it's a whole generation. Yes, I agree. I remember around 1979 or something like this, suddenly I saw someplace a video of Fist of Fury, VHS. And I said, wow, now I can take the movie, it's a VHS, and I can dissect and learn, see the techniques and learn it again and again and again. That was suddenly a tool, a new tool really to understand his techniques. Right. Before it was all magazines. I used to have magazines. I still have, I think, the original Black Belt magazine since 1961. Official character magazine, a big library. Actually, I learned English uh, uh, reading those uh, magazines. This is how I improved my English. That's cool. (laughs) Nice. Anyway, that's the story. Okay. So then you, you got to the U.S. Well, first of all, you went, you went to film and television school, and then yes. you, you decided to come to the U.S. to pursue this. So did you always plan on making martial arts part of your movies? Absolutely. Nice. That was exactly, I came to do, what, I came to do one thing, what was called low-budget B-movies, martial arts movies. <laughs> this, was, this was the dream. This was my goal. I never, ever thought 
about A movies or big studio movies mm -hmm. because I'm very grounded. I didn't, I was trying to think really logical mm -hmm. and uh, coming me as a foreigner, I felt that I have enough confidence in martial arts background and the way that I can show it or showcase it in uh, in a movie that right. was exactly my my plan and uh, actually i got this dream or not this dream this plan this or, or the idea to to try to make it uh, as uh, a reality after watching uh, american ninja nice yeah i was then living in israel and I remember seeing it and I talked, I sat after with my wife or was working with my wife and I told her, you know something, I can do this kind of movies. And she looked at me like I'm absolutely out of my mind. <laughs> you proved her wrong though. <laughs> so, yeah. That's cool. Talk about that first one, yeah, the Desert Kickboxer. You know, what was that kind of experience like and doing your first feature film? And talk a little bit about that experience. So let me let me just even just before I arrive at the end of 1988, actually, I arrived at my birthday. I was oh, wow. 30 years old, 1988, okay. uh, July. And uh, I knew really nothing. All, all I had was a short that was an award-winning movie. Yeah and uh, in Hebrew. And I kind of started to get acquainted with producers that were doing action movies, low-budget action movies, and some I convinced a few of them to do the fight choreography in those movies. And then I got the chance to do uh, some second unit. Remember, these were what I called some of them bottom of the barrel movies. Okay. Then, uh, so I started to understand how the industry works. And basically, I understood that I need a script. Now, I'm not a writer, but uh, I had an idea that was actually a Western based on a real character. And uh, I should talk about it after, but okay. I co-wrote it with somebody, with a friend. And then I said, no, you still need some money to do it. Let's see what can be done really with a shoestring budget. And I came with the idea of what was called Desert Talk, then was changed to Desert Kickboxer. Mm -hmm. And that was supposed to be a movie that you can do for absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay. So... By then, Canon Picture closed, and Canon Picture for me was the model because the person who was heading it was Menachem Golan, that was a legend. Yes. He's the guy who gave uh, Van Damme the chance, he's the guy that really helped Chuck Norris, and he closed the company, opened a small company called 21st Century. To make a long story short, he knew the short that I did because his wife was the one that gave me the, the price that was in Israel. And I then, I, I don't know if you remember Panther Productions. They oh, were yeah. doing martial arts. Yep, definitely. I did, I did 10 videos for Panther Productions that was Shitoryu Karate. Oh, wow. I didn't and, know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So basically, he saw 10 boxes with my name in there and my face in there and probably... What he thought is, hmm, somebody already put some money on that dude. And I like the movie that he did. And it seems, you, basically, when an Israeli meets an Israeli, it's, what's your name? Where are you from? What did you do in the army? Or where did you serve in the army? Mm -hmm. You kind of get to know, you know who, who is in front of you. Right. And uh, I told him, look, I have this script. It's for a feature. And he basically said, 
will it be a 90 minute movie? I told him, yes. He said, okay, do it. <laughs> and this is how I got my first uh, chance. Wow. Now I had 16 days <laughs> oh, wow. to shoot it. Really? And that's a hard shoot. Yeah. And I promised myself, I said to myself, okay, I'm, I have to finish it in 16, 16 days, no matter what. So they will not say, I lie to them, I'm a crook or something. No mm -hmm. matter what, I'm going to finish it in 16 days. I finished it on 16 days. And somehow, by luck, it was sold to HBO. HBO then was mm -hmm. something big. And they tried to sell a few movies to HBO, then, and they didn't manage to do it. And somehow, HBO bought this movie. Mm -hmm. That's where I saw it, he, HBO. <laughs> so he was happy, and I was happy. That was basically... a. It was very, very low budget, but it was a, a feature film. It was a good movie. I enjoyed it. So, and I, I have okay. to, definitely have to mention your, your second one, just because I was just going through your list. And I completely forgot you directed Savat with another former guest of mine, uh, Olivier. He was on my show Olivier, also. So, so here's the story about Savat. So my favorite genres are the Westerns. Mm -hmm. And Savat was always something very interesting for me because it's European. It's not from the Far East. And the kicks are amazing. And I couldn't prove, I, I didn't have the proof, but I felt that karate was influenced by Savat. Now we know that for sure. Huh? Yes. But, and I based the movie, I, I love history. If not for me doing movies, I would still be in Israel. Uh, I would be a history professor because my love is history and would uh, continue to teach uh, probably a few, do many dojos around me. Okay. But anyway, I did the research, and the person that really influenced Savat most of all was Joseph Charlemont. Joseph Charlemont was he, even the teacher of Alexander Dumas, who wrote The Count of Monte Cristo oh, in the yes. Three Musketeers. Three Musketeers, yeah. Yes. And basically, here's the interesting part. He was an officer in the French army in 1865. He was in Mexico. When Napoleon III was trying to intervene in Mexico, that was with the Juarez Revolution, and uh, mainly Italian Westerns were done about that era. And I said, wow, here's an opportunity to do a Western with martial arts. I basically took the model of uh, Shane, that was also redone a few times, mm -hmm. uh, uh, even Clint Eastwood did it with Pale Rider. Yep. And basically, this is how Savat came about. And uh, I basically had the script, nothing happened with it. Then I met some producer that had a family in France, actually, in Monte Carlo, and knew what I was talking about. It took an option, nothing happened for a year. Meanwhile, in that year, I was doing Power Rangers. And anyway, nothing happened for a year. And then they wanted to do it. And basically, I did that movie. Nice. That's another good one. I, I remember that one when I was younger, and and I, and I do definitely want to mention one more because one of my favorites. I love the movie Ninja. That's such a good movie. I probably watched it about ten times already. So, <laughs> absolutely. The first or the second? The first one. The original. Yeah, I yeah. like I like them both, but I, the the first one I've seen about ten times, and and I'm a big Scott Adkins fan too. I'm actually hopefully trying to get him on the show in the future too. He's another guest I want to get on. But yeah, I just I'll, I'll watch anything with Scott in too. So. This was done in 2009. Uh, yes. And so my concept, and it was a mistake of mine, I have to admit it, was because there was some more money in doing it. 
And I said, okay, if Batman is learning with ninjutsu, we let the ninja be a superhero mm-hmm. in a way to, to be more. Uh, and uh, I try to give it a comics book feeling. I regret that I did it, and I, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to fix it with the second movie. Okay. Uh, there are some scenes there that I really love. And, of course, I love that whatever we shot all of the beginning is in Japanese. And you have to know that the last thing that we shot, when the dailies were sent, everything was sent to Millennium, everything was in English because uh, we shot the ending, uh, the beginning only at the end of the movie. Okay. So, uh, and then the movie really, the first 20 minutes are all in Japanese. But they were okay with it because uh, they understood that the audience, especially of that genre, if it's okay to speak Japanese. It's a part really of, ex- uh, it's a part of the genre, you know? Yes, true. And one of the producers that I had was uh, the late Danny Lerner. And he was a wonderful, wonderful guy. And, and he really loved the Japanese movies and Japanese cinema. And I remember when we were shooting those scenes, he was sitting on the set and really enjoying to see how we did it in uh, Japanese. Nice. So I have to ask, you know, you, you've, I know you said you weren't really a huge fan of competition. So what, what are your thoughts on, on UFC and the MMA? Is that something you're a fan of? Sometimes I watch it, but not really. I mean, usually I, I watched it when uh, Machida was fighting. Yes. Or mainly karate guys, uh, but I think it's like a regular driver and a speed race driver. What it's missing is the spirit of politeness. Okay. Of, I mean, the spirit of martial arts of being composed, being polite, mm-hmm. giving respect. Some have it, some don't have it. Sometimes it feels like it becomes a WWE or. And and it's a pity, you know. So uh, I mean, if it will be there, I'll watch it. But I'm 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 not really I'm not a fan. See, and I used to be. Yeah, kind of the same thing. I used to watch it, and it's just I don't like kind of the way it's gone. And and you know, same thing. If if, I, if I'm like sitting someplace at a restaurant and it's on the TV, I'll watch it. But I'm not going to usually go out of my way, unfortunately, to watch it. So I like to watch K1 when it was there. <sighs> yes, Muita, you know. Yeah, this was good. So cool. Sanshu, nice. Who are some people, who are some martial artists that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? So you could pick three or four martial artists that you just think are you know, amazing. They're on the top of the list. They're, they really influence you. They're, you look up to them. Who are three or four names that you'd put on that list? My teacher, Thomas Weber, because I learned a lot from him. Okay. And then, I mean, it's people that you really see the, the way that they, they fought. You have Handy Hug from uh, Kyokushinka, you have Yoshinao Nambu. Mm-hmm. From Sankukai, but uh, any any top top practitioner in any style for me, it's a pleasure to watch. From Kanazawa to uh, uh, Shotokan, a practitioner, right? Mm-hmm. The, the late Kanazawa to Morio Igaona, who is Gojoryu practitioner, to uh, Shogokuniba, who is a Shitoryu uh, practitioner. I mean, any any top. Top artist is top artist. You have now uh, Naka. Tetsuya Naka is a JKA guy. He was in the movie Kurobi. I don't know if you saw the movie. I highly recommend it. Okay. It's a pleasure to watch him. So any top artist is a top artist, you know? Nice. Good. All right. So what advice would you give someone who's thinking of getting involved in martial arts for the first time? They've never done it before and they just want to know, what should I look for in a school? What should I look for in an instructor? Okay, 
Uh, first of all, you want to understand which art you want. But let's say, you, even if you don't know, go and watch a few times training in the school that you want to choose. You want to see if the school is disciplined. You want to see how is the teacher teaching, how hard the students are working or training, uh, how clean is the school, what's the attitude or the atmosphere in the dojo, because it should be friendly atmosphere, yet people have to train really hard and serious. If uh, they're wearing a gi, colorful gi, red, zebra, purple, and have patches on them, I would be a bit eerie because less is more. If you see a white gi or even a black gi and mm -hmm. less patches or no patches, it's the best. Of course, me, a karateka, I have more. The, I, I will look at the white gi, but it doesn't matter. It's You want to choose a place that they are serious about what they're doing. Belt, I think that the, all of the concept of belts in the last two, maybe three decades lost its purpose. Right. And uh, maybe you don't really need it. I mean, look, all of the concept of uh, belts, really, if you think about it, started in the 30s. And uh, so, so it's it's not really traditional. You know, it's it's less than 100 years old. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's time to change it or replace it. It doesn't mean uh, anything. That's basically uh, my main... Uh, uh, the, the main advice, you go, you watch a few times, you talk to the instructors. If somebody calls himself master or whatever, I don't know, you you don't call yourself a master. It's like uh, if your students call you sensei or whatever, it's something else. But less is more karate is about or any martial arts. The ego stays outside the dojo and uh, it's about being humble because only if you're humble, you can continue to learn more and more and more. Uh, instructor trains with the student, really trains hard, that means he's serious, you know. Sometimes to stand on the side and just to uh, bark uh, orders or hardly not to demonstrate anything is not a good thing. Yeah, You want to be in a place where the instructor really is in there and is uh, training hard himself, you know, and demonstrates and explains every uh, final detail, but not too much because you still have to train, you know? Right. You have to know what to emphasize and when. Nice. I like that answer a lot. That's really cool. So in all your years of martial arts, is there one or two philosophies you've learned that are just super important to you? You keep coming back to them. They're, they're, they use them in your everyday life. Just like one or two philosophies that kind of rise to the top. Yes. First of all, when I open was about to open my first dojo. My teacher, Thomas Weber, came and told me, I'll give you one advice. It takes 10 years to, to build a reputation and it takes 10 seconds to destroy it. And I kept this advice in everything that I do. So everything that I do. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Second, you try to seek perfection because remember the goal, uh, let me kind of, not quote Funakoshi, but in a way, the ultimate aim of karate or martial arts is not victory or defeat but perfection of character so no matter what you do you try to do it always to the best as your ability i call it the coffee test what is the coffee test let's say i'm going to ask you for coffee okay 
and you're going to bring me black coffee in a cup, okay? Mm-hmm. And I will ask you, okay, can I get the sugar or sweetener? And you'll bring me the sugar and the sweetener. And then I'll ask you, okay, can I get some cream? And you'll bring me the cream. Okay, can I please get the stir? You'll bring me the stir, okay? This is somebody who doesn't train in martial arts. If you train in martial arts, if I'll ask for coffee, you'll bring me the coffee with the sugar, with the stir, and with the cream, okay? Yep. So it's it's a matter of attitude. That's second thing. Okay. And third, there is a beautiful saying in karate called karate ni sentenashi, no first attack in karate, mm-hmm. which means you go, you walk straight, but you keep your ego down. You want to learn and you don't really start a fight or you're not, you don't, basically you try to avoid confrontation. Basically, you're looking for peaceful solution. Doesn't mean when I said no first attack in karate that you have to start defending yourself because if you sense danger, you can initiate your attack because you're feeling the danger. Nice. Great answer. I like that. One more film I wanted to ask you about. I was just going through your IMDb and I didn't realize you were involved in this. How, how did you get involved with the new Gladiators documentary? I love that documentary so much. So I'm a karate bum, right? Uh-huh. And this term karate bum, I learned from my friend Don Warner. Don Warner, and you should talk to Don. Don was one of the pioneers of karate in Canada. He was Canadian karate, a karate champion in 1971. I used to read his articles in, uh, what was it, official karate in the 70s. And I met him by chance in 1998 when he moved to LA, really by chance. Okay. We talked and we basically opened on the side a company that was called uh, Rising Sun Productions. That was, the goal was to do martial arts instructionals and uh, kind of documentaries. Now, you have to understand why I did it. My goal was not really to make money out of it. My goal was really to meet all the best in any art, to understand what is behind, what the ideas behind their art and their discipline and how, why they do it and why they teach it like this and like a sponge to absorb it. What I learned is that there are many paths to the mountain. We all know that. And every path is right as long as you understand the principle of that path. doesn't matter which style you train because every style and every discipline, it's the same principle more or less, and they emphasize one or another thing from that discipline. Okay. Now, let's go to the new gladiator. We don't met... Uh, George Waite. George Waite was the business partner of Ed Parker. Mm-hmm. He had an idea to do a documentary about karate uh, fighters. And he and uh, Ed Parker convinced Elvis to do it. Because Elvis was a karate bum and was really a karate lover. Yep. Started training in Germany, Shotokan in I think 1961 or 1959, when, when he went to the army. Yep. And he kept on training, and then he trained under Ed Parker. And Elvis was excited about it and basically uh, financed the movie. 
And they started shooting it, really, they started shooting documentary about karate fighters that went to Europe, and then they continue with some tournaments in the States. The movie was never completed because Elvis basically passed away at a certain point, the producer had a divorce, nothing happened with that movie. And for years, it was sitting, believe it or not, in the garage of the producer of George Waite. In 2002, Don basically got it from the producer. We got this, and we got the footage of Bruce Lee that was later leaked into the internet. Don't ask me how. <laughs> the eight and a half minutes of him in color is demonstration in uh, the Long Beach uh, demonstration, yeah, 1967. 1960. Okay. So, 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 so basically. We completed the movie. I mean, I, I, I put it back into the editing system. I finished it. It was really, I mean, it needed some massaging, you know. And that's uh, that's the story of the movie. We released it really to the martial arts community. I mean, if you're not a martial artist, it's not really interesting. Right. If you're into the martial arts, especially karate, it's really the, the, the golden age of karate. You see... Then your kid is there. I mean, it's just fantastic. I, I think it's a good movie, you know. Uh, Darnell Garcia and Ray Corbin and and Ben Urquidez and Ron Marchini. I nice. mean, Farkas is there. So and, and and many others. Even we actually released it from the work print because there was no money really to to complete it mm-hmm. uh, from new print. But that's the movie. Yeah, that's how I got involved in that uh, project. Nice. Well, thank you for doing it. Like I said, I love it. I, I as soon as I saw because I had, I had heard rumors about the footage and everyone you know for years everyone oh this this footage is out there and no one knows where it is and then when I finally heard that the footage was found when they were releasing it I I think I was probably one of the first people to order a copy. So so don't you should, you should go to Don Warner Don Warner has this amazing uh, ability of finding like treasures okay. and putting it uh, he's pretty amazing uh, he's pretty amazing person and, nice. and, and and talking about somebody that has a vast martial arts background and knowledge okay uh, Tony's the man yeah i'll reach out to him all right i have a, a a few fun questions to wrap it up here so this one i'm curious because you talked about you, ha- you have a nice library so what is your favorite martial arts book <laughs> so I'll tell you, I, I bought my very first book, I think in 1972, that was This is Karate of uh, Masoyama. Okay. I bought it, I spent all my bar mitzvah money to buy that book. You have to understand, then to get, there was one place in Tel Aviv that used to send Black Belt magazine, another place that used to sell official karate magazine, mm-hmm. and another place that used to sell the French karate magazine that was called Karate and now Karate Bushido. It was an amazing magazine, color pictures, totally glossy picture, amazing. And I went and I bought uh, This is Karate again. My parents didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so my heart is with that book. But... Then after I bought, uh, that's the classics, Nakayama, Dynamic Karate. I have a huge library. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I really have a huge library. There's some amazing books. There is really a good, uh, if somebody's interested about karate and uh, and uh, the history of karate, there is a book that is a little bit unknown, but it's an excellent book by John Sears. And the name oh, is Unante. Totally not commercialistic name, but if you're a karateka, a serious karateka, okay. and you want to know about karate, 
that's the book to have, uh, and it's a great book. It's totally underrated. People don't know about it. Okay, cool. I will look into that. So, all right. So this one, you maybe don't have an answer for. I'm not sure if you ever played video games, but do you have a favorite martial arts video game? No, I okay. never played video games. Okay, good. But I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a okay. story. I, I did this series, WMAC Master. Yes, loved it. And yep. the, the producers of the series wanted the fights to look real. And I told them, look, it's impossible because it's martial arts. You cannot... You have to uh, hide the heat, you know. Mm-hmm. And then this was around 1994. I went. My brother came to visit me with his family, and we went with the kids, you know, to Vegas. And on the way in the in the airport or somewhere, I see a game that was called then. What was the name of the game? Virtual Fighter. Okay. And I'm looking at the game, and I'm saying, "Wow, look at this! Look at the camera move!" And it inspired me. It gave me the idea to do what I did in WMAC Masters, continuous shots without cuts. That was hard to do. Yeah. But I got this kind of idea or uh, uh, call it idea from watching a virtual fighter. Cool. Yeah, I've actually had uh, quite a few uh, people from WAC Masters on my show. Herb Perez was one of my first yeah. guests when I started the show. I had uh, Carmichael Simon on the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next week's episode is actually uh, Lynette Love. Christine Bannon Rodriguez has been on Give the show. Give my, my love, wonderful. Yes, oh, yes, yes. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've been I've been lucky. It's uh, I've reached out to a few of them, and then um, what Christopher Landis, who who wrote the book. So she, about oh yes yes yep yep yes. He, he was on the show also so I've been I've been lucky having yes, those you, so yeah you kind, should also uh, interview uh, Willie Ben Willie Johnson oh yeah Willie was on my show yep Willie was on oh. um, I'm, okay. I'm 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 working on Hakeem Hakeem said yes I haven't been able to schedule him he was a great guy yeah, yeah. I also worked with him in uh, in uh, Bulgaria when we did the USU too awesome nice. guy nice. excellent guy. Very cool. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm working. There's a, quite a few on that list. I'm trying to work on and stuff. I got my my dream guests. I mean, I mean, getting on. I'm I'm over over 90 guests now since my show started. So it's been going pretty Very well. Good. But yeah, all right. That co- was an amazing experience. That show. That's it was good. really amazing. Experience. I miss it. I miss it. I, I wish they'd uh, bring it back. <laughs> Be kind of cool. It came too early. It came. It. it I agree. It it's time. Yep, I would agree. Yeah. About about 10, 10 to 15 years ahead of its time, I think it could have been I huge. Think so. so Yeah, 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yes, yes, yes. All right, now, so these last few questions, you can't pick anything that you've worked on. So this one, a favorite martial arts TV show. First martial arts TV show. Mm-hmm. Wow, TV show. Whether it's old one or a current one. I knew you were. Uh, wow. <laughs> I don't tell. I don't tell. I'm sorry. Okay, no, that's fine. Now this this one could be tough because you've you've done a lot of movies, but how about a favorite martial arts movie that you weren't involved in? So Fury. Nice. <laughs> kind of figured that's what you'd pick. So absolutely. Okay. 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 And, and this one, final question. This one I'm really curious about. Now this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. Just a favorite movie fight scene. A favorite movie fight scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start with in the martial arts movies. Uh, once upon in, in China, uh, two the okay. leather the leather fight scene. Nice, okay. Toy Hark, that was amazing. Good one. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, favorite fighting scene in other movies? I don't yeah. look. When I was a child, I loved the fight scene in uh, You Only Live Twice. Yes, uh, 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 there is a good fight scene there, like when he's fighting the sumo guy, but from Russia with love. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm very technical and uh, I will absolutely choose something that is uh, 
that is technical, you know, mm -hmm. that, yeah, I, I just mentioned, I mean, the Tsui yep. Hark once upon a time in China is a great fight scene. It is a great fight scene. But I highly recommend, I highly recommend for people to see Kurobi. Kurobi, uh, also Black Belt. Did you see that movie? Yes. So maybe not the final scene, but some of the scenes are really nice because they took basic techniques. Okay. And they sh the, the basic techniques really work. It's not a lot. The concept is less is more, mm -hmm. but I loved it. I just loved it. Nice. I will mark that one down too. All right. Before I let you go, any upcoming projects you want to, you want to talk about? Yeah. So your episode will be on in about a month. So it'd be in December when your episode comes up. So any, any upcoming stuff you want to promote, anything you're working on that you can talk about? I'm working on the last movie that I just completed. I mean, shooting, it's uh, not really a martial arts movie, but of course there is martial arts and there is fighting. It okay. is called uh, Hellfire. You know, I, I just don't like to talk about movies before they're finished, before okay. they're done. Okay. Don't, don't to jinx it, you know? Okay. No, yeah. I, just, I was looking at that one. I just know Harvey Keitel's in that, so that's kind of cool. He's not fighting. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good thing. <laughs> nice, nice, cool. But I tell you, I tell you, did all, all of his fighting stuff, Stephen Lang. Oh, really? And uh, he did a great job. <laughs> Very cool. And, and... The main fight really is him and uh, Johnny Bosch from the Power Rangers. Oh, really? And Johnny was a fight choreographer, and it's, his contribution to the movie is amazing. It was him and Randy Hall that really were there behind the fighting and the action and did, did an amazing job. Okay. So does uh, Stephen Lang, does he have a martial arts background or no? He trained, he told me he trained in Kyokushin Kai for 11 years, but really? uh, years ago, you know. Okay, man, I should try to get him on my show too. <laughs> See, I, those are the people I want to get, the people who my guests don't know are martial artists or you know, aren't known for martial arts. Those are the fun ones to get. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph, yep. Dolph was in the movie, but again, he didn't fight. And I did a movie with Dolph when he was fighting. But you know, you know, when I met Dolph the first time mm -hmm. in 1980, I was in Sweden training. His best friend was the best friend of my sensei, Thomas Weber. Okay. And at this time, he didn't know that he would be an actor. I didn't know that I would be a director. We mm -hmm. just karate band. That's and awesome. uh, who knew? Yeah, that's yeah. He's another one I've, I've I've reached out, and obviously you know he's you know big. Some of the bigger names are a little harder to get, unfortunately. But he'd be he'd be fun to talk to. Another one I'd love to talk to is John Cusack. I mean, he trained with Benny the Jet for yeah, Benny the how Jet. How many yes, years? Yeah, yes. Benny's another one I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get Benny and I. By the way, talking about <laughs> fighting, there is a great fighting between Jackie Chan and and Benny the Jet in Wilson 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 Mills. Oh yes, yes, I forgot that about that. That was an amazing fighting. Yeah. No, I, Jackie Chan. I love any, anything with Jackie Chan. Man, he he does some great stuff, and he's he's known more for the comedy and the funny stuff. But man, he's an amazing martial artist too. <laughs> and imagine yourself, him and Benny the Jet, and it's a great fight. That's cool. Highly recommend. That's really really cool, Isaac. I, I want to say thank you so much. This has been so much fun. You, you are an amazing storyteller. Uh, just uh, enjoyed hearing your stories, and and I, I've always, like I said, I've loved your movies. You know, ever since I started watching them, I think I think Savat was the first one I watched. Um, but I've, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and I'm, I'm so glad you agreed to do this. It's, it's been such an honor to have you on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for thinking about me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian.
Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists, and we'll see you next week.